Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the room that we created. I told, uh, I think I told everyone and Zach that I would make a theme song for this podcast by the next episode last week. Yeah, you I lied. I, said that. I did not do that. Didn't do it. Yeah, Maddie lies a lot. I began work on it. No, really? I did. You didn't even tell me. Well, I actually made an entire one, deleted it because I didn't like it, and started a new one. So do we have to make it one again? What do you mean? Last time we made one on the spot. A theme song? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. That was a good one. My brother in film. My brother in film. Today, we... today on the on the the, the shit cast, we're gonna be talking about. I would say P cast, but same amount of syllables as podcast. Same of syllables, so, so no point not in, cool. In abbreviating that, not cool, not funny. The PC, the PC, the PC. So we're gonna be talking about films that we like. Pretty much, this is the this is two dudes got together in a van. We're like. Dude, we're so fucking cool. Why don't we start a podcast? People really fucking love what we have to say. That's what we're like imitating on this episode, I think. I guess so, yeah. A little. Well, we the the initial uh, was the films that have shaped us, and uh, because I think almost almost as much as music, I think film has impacted our lives. Maybe more so. My me you, identifying. You with think. It. That film is the most. It is the S tier of just art. I, I do believe that film is the is the most efficient form of, of art. Why and expression? Because. I agree with you after hearing, but. I think like, so art, is an ex like however. Any way you define art, which is a very, very, very personal thing, like everyone has their own definition of art and what strikes them, and that influences the type of art that they enjoy, how they define art itself influences the type of art that people enjoy. For me, I think art is a um, embodiment, like an acting out of human experiences, an expression of human experience in a way that is celebratory or in a way that helps us work through the difficulties of those experiences. So it could be like falling in love. You need to express that. And so you create some sort of almost interpretive dance of the feeling of falling in love in whatever art you create. And that's a celebratory art, um, an expression of a human experience or this deep trauma that mm-hmm. we write out in our art and we act it out to help us work through it or to just see the potential value that we can suck out of traumatic experiences and art, whatever. I think film is the, most clear medium for that because it's it's storytelling there's visual art there's music is mm-hmm. yeah the, all the different medias film. having all of those different medias the potential for sim symbolic prosody yeah is poetry the most that you can have exactly it, like, it all can tie together, mm-hmm. and there's uh, there's and also each like, thing can stand on its own. Yeah, and if you get deep enough into cinema, you realize that there's also um, the cinematic equivalent of instrumental music. There is that in film, you know, where it's like there are films that don't tell a fucking story that are just there to exist as spectacle. 
and and just visual just eye candy and just like experimentation and there's like some of my favorite films sort of fall into that category you know and it's like yeah i don't know i think you know surface level just i don't know I think I like I I I Maddie's Maddie's a bit under the weather. I'm extremely <laughs> sick right now. Um, it's not COVID, thank the Lord Christ. Got tested today, but I'm I'm sick and also a little bit high on on cold medicine. I'd assume that's why I feel the way I feel. I this motherfucker thinks I gave him Mucinex, like the decongestant that makes you drowsy. You fucking swore up and down. No, four, I didn't you've, swear. You've asked me four different times. You've asked me four times. I did. I have not. You I gave not. me. I don't, I don't. I haven't. You gave me a Mucinex earlier. And and now I feel so high. I feel I feel so strange. And so I was questioning, like, did you? Are you sure you gave me like a day Mucinex and not some like sleep medicine? Because I like, and I believe you. I believe that you didn't. But I, I feel so fucking bizarre right now. I think it's because I already took cold medicine before I even came here, and then I just took more. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably it. Mm-hmm. I can form sentences still, though, so I think we're good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Why you get say-say? <gasps> okay. So, okay, my point, I think I was about to say, I can't, I don't know. But um, there's no I, fucking point. I would like I would sit there's through no a point. bad movie, and that's a good experience. Like I don't know, I love films so much that like a watching a bad movie in a movie theater is still a very enjoyable I've fucking never, thing I for me. I never walk out of a movie theater. I don't understand people who walk out of movie theaters. I don't understand it. Oh, you mean if a film is shit or yeah. like it's bad, or they yeah. don't like it, or they they understand that it's good, it's just they can't watch it. I I can't do that. I don't. Oh yeah, that. no, yeah, exactly. People that have walked out of films or like the all the stories of movies that are like hyped up in legend of like oh people fucking vomited during the Cannes screening or people like, walked out. It's it like breeds this, fucking pair. It breeds a bubble. It breeds a bubble for people to stay in. Yeah, I don't know, cause like I'll be watching the last shitty movie I saw in theaters was probably. Um, I don't know. It's been a great fucking year for movies, so it's hard to pinpoint when the last shitty movie what I saw. What's your favorite movie of the year? Oh, oh, my, okay. We're gonna get into this further into films because I wrote down the top five favorite movies of the of all time. My favorite five movies. Mm-hmm. One of them came out this year. There was a film that came out this year that that worked its way onto my top five of all time movie list, and it was Everything Everywhere All at Once by the Daniels. I haven't fucking seen that. It's been on my list. Jesus Christ. That movie fucking floored me. That movie, like, everything I fucking love about cinema, it, it tickled that. But really, it got into everything I love about anime. Like, when I was watching it, a lot of it, what I was, like, appreciating about it was everything I love about anime. Because it was such a fucking cerebral, like, or not, the word, not that's not that word. Visceral. visceral. It was such a visceral, like, fucking, you know, um, jarring, like, just circus of what's, activity. I, what is, what's the plot? Oh, fuck me, dude. Okay, in a, so. In a, in a cliff notes. Like, a couple, like, like a paragraph, top, five sentences. There is a, a very timid, hardworking immigrant mother who discovers that in another universe in the multiverse she is extraordinarily powerful 
and connects like is um the catalyst for a lot of um multiverse multiverse hopping science in another universe and she starts to intercept messages from that ultimate version of herself and her husband and her daughter from that other universe as well because her daughter is sort of a multi-universal supervillain in another universe mm -hmm. and so she has to um kind of confront the mundane likeness in her current life in the current universe that she lives in and come to terms with her own abilities and like and the thing is like that that's such a shitty way to explain the film but like the whole the themes of that of it were like the profoundness of the mundane and like appreciating your life you know and timelines like as far as like almost story trees opening in your life is a huge fascination for me. Like, cause I, I'm a, I think about decisions all the time. I think about, you know, the butterfly effect and what if all the time I torture myself. You've over seen it. that movie, right? With Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Yeah. Butterfly. It's a phenomenal film. As is, I, I watched that when I was relatively young and I just remember how weirdly, just how weird it felt Yeah. to watch as a young adult, maybe 12 years old, like, not fully formed, but, like, somewhat conscious. Yeah. Watching that, it was just, recalling it feels strange. That's a good movie. I think it's underrated. I, I can hardly remember the, the plot or anything that goes on. I just remember the feeling associated with it. It was very strange. It was it's quite very, good. Very strange. Yeah. Feeling. No, but, yeah, Everything Everywhere All at Once um, really tapped into that existential phobia of mine of uh, decision-making and wasting time in your life and what paths you have not taken, what pastures you have left ungrazed in your story. But it, it address it like that is the main fucking theme of the movie. And it put it in my face in a way that didn't scare me at all. It made me excited about, that's great. it was like, Oh, I don't care that I'm, there's all these things I'll never get to experience. And that's fine because I'm telling a fucking beautiful story. And then like the appreciation for the mundane in your life and like, and also action sequences, fucking flawless visuals, flawless. Yeah. Like it was a gorgeous Wait, action movie. Action sequences? Oh yeah, it's an it's like a Matrix esque movie. Oh okay, I didn't, yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't, so she's just this immigrant woman, like fucking absolutely ripping and tearing Doom style. Yeah. Really? It's, it's a karate film. There's a shitload. What the uh, fuck I'm pro I, I can't remember if it was. Karate was the actual martial art, so forgive me. But but it's a it's a How martial arts movie. How are we movie. talking? Are we talking just heavy focus on martial arts? Or are we talking Jackie Chan appearance martial arts movie? We're talking like like fucking you know there were people that you know there were trained fucking stunt doubles in this movie. There was okay. there was this okay. martial arts in the movie. Well, on the costume design on the subject flawless. of movies with very very long titles, the yeah. unbearable weight of massive talent. That was this year, wasn't it? Wasn't no, it? no, no, no. I watched that on an airplane not long ago. It was a, a year and a half, two years ago or a year ago. Are, are you sure? Yeah. I think that was 22. Look at it. Let, let me look it look up. It I up. have to look but it up. But the unbearable weight of massive talent. You had been trying to get me to watch that forever. Yeah, and I remember. And I was out. I was on an airplane and I saw it was a free movie on the airplane because I was on a decently long flight. So they were like, okay. I think it was from like, it was from Seattle. I was flying from Seattle, and to where we are, it's probably like four hours. 
uh, four and a half hours. And they were like, oh, you know, you get a free movie. And I watched on the way there. I watched American Pickle with Seth Rogen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which was I want to see that. I so bad. fucking loved it. It was great. It was short. It was sweet. I fucking loved American Pickle so much. It was. It is 2022. It's You kidding me? No, I know. Dude, Why time is it free on a fucking, fucking airplane? Flying. Then again, Dune was too. But yeah, oh, Dune was good. Yeah, it w- I watched that on the way back, and it was. I thought it was gonna be like everything, everywhere, all at once, and it it's nowhere fucking close to that. It's just so funny. It's and so fucking well funny. written, and it and it in a weirdly beautiful way, not as symbolic and artistic as you would expect but, but in a strange, trip in a strange way it. because it's so third person from itself it is symbolic and artistic and super the, passion project about being an artist yeah yeah the the arc the archetype of just artistic people yeah and creative and minds also, is so well represented yeah not just movie. the archety- archetype of an artist but the archetype of a icon Mm-hmm. You know, is dissected in it too, and, and but in such a fucking funny way. It's not trying to say anything in particular. It's just there. And then, like, as a, I am a massive, 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 like, way too big Nick Cage fan. I fucking love Nick Cage. You know this. I was gonna get Nick a Nick Cave and Nick Cage. Nick Cave and Nick Cage are my boys. But I was going to get a Nicolas Cage tattoo of his face on my fucking thigh. This is, you know, me and, like, a very, very, very close friend of mine. We're going to get matching Nick Cage tattoos. Why don't we get Nick? Wh- <laughs> Why don't you get it tonight? Why don't you get it tonight? Where? It's tattoo. Where would we go to get the tattoo? A tattoo parlor? They're all over. They're open this late? Oh, I'm sure there's one. Well, well, I'll At, say this. It's 9 o'clock. I got, I got this one done. At two in the morning. I don't know I if it's advisable to get tattoos when you're very sick, though. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it's a matter. blood thing. It doesn't matter. Okay, well, I'll consider that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, the point was, um, I I was going to get me and me and uh, a friend who gr- I grew up with, um, Zeke. Yeah, I've known him for like 17 years. We, Nick Cage is a huge meme in the our friendship. Like we love Nick Cage. It's like a big inside joke. We're gonna get matching Nick Cage face tattoos, like on our thighs, and don't, then don't do the fucking. We have another one we're getting on our thigh. Yeah, yes. Above will. the knee. So just leave No, no, well, well, we're not getting the face anymore. After oh, yeah. Unbearable Weight came out, we're getting pistols. We're getting matching pistols. Mine's going to say Unbearable Weight and his is going to say Massive Talent. Because mm. the movie was just so fucking fun. As a, as a massive Nick Cage obsessor nerd, I was like, I was like, okay, I have to keep my expectations down because there's no way this is going to be everything I want in a movie. And it was... So there's, I just I, I almost scene. cried because I was like, this is so they get the meme. They, they get, get the, the meme. Is, like yeah. they get it. It's so funny. There Pedro is, Pascal is so fucking. There's hot a scene. Too. There's a scene where I don't think this is a spoiler. They drop acid. <laughs> they drop acid. Um Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage in the movie, by the way. Pedro Pascal does not play Pedro Pascal. He plays another film writer pitching a movie to Nicolas Cage. He's playing himself. Mm-hmm. And Pedro Pascal slips. I think it's him who slips. I think they just willingly take acid. No, Nicolas Cage was not knowing that that he was going to take acid. I remember that. And there's this maybe 10 minute long 
escapade of them running around the city on acid, driving in a car, f- getting so paranoid. And what is the fucking line? Oh, he's like, he's like, he's right over there. But there's a 10 or 15 minute long escapade of Nicolas Cage just on acid. It was Nicolas so Cage playing Nick funny. Cage on acid, which I'm sure. And it wasn't like typical, like that 70s show, like, you know, shit. It's no, just it was, them. It was just funny. It's, yeah, just, it's just, it's just them. You don't get to see it from their perspective. You're just watching them just be dumb. It was like such... as if you were trip sitting them. Exactly. Yes. It felt like, yeah, it felt like you were trip sitting them. You know, it was, I love movies that are just like, they don't, they were just fun. Like there's, there's so much love and passion in the project. You could totally see it, that it was like a nerd like blast that was the second best theater experience i had this year like that that was the most fun i had in a theater this year second only yeah. to studio 666 the foo fighters movie most fun i had on an airplane and and the only reason studio 666 is not by a large margin even close to as good as unbearable weight but i had the most fucking fun in a theater watching it because i went with a friend of mine from uh fucking we can like out of the valley we I, I went out of town to go see this movie with a friend of mine and um we got to the theater and we were the only ones there because it was maybe the last week it was in theaters you know the night that i was on kimmel with the foo fighters that was the same night of the premiere of that movie right and afterwards across the street at the dolby was the premiere yeah that's fucking awesome. Right dude. afterwards. It was oh, I remember. If you that, got to see the premiere of that, oh I would have killed to be at the premiere, dude. <laughs> that would have been so yeah. fun. It was a whole red carpet and it was very cool. But yeah. The um, movie that that movie was just a fucking me. like B movie slaughter fest, gore fest, hilarious, really fucking funny. Um everyone in the Dave Grohl is a bad fucking actor. And it was it was added so much to the movie. It was the funniest fucking shit. Like that movie was was phenomenal. Like and all the interviews of them talking about the movie and how much fun they had, it just warms my heart. Like it, it's such a beautiful little thing that happened. It's not by not it's not a good movie, but it's so fucking fun. And I'm watching it alone in a theater with a friend of mine, and we're just like, ah! like when you get to scream and just th- like you know throw popcorn and shit and like run around and duck by the chairs and something scary happens because there's nobody there. And like that, so that was the most fun I had in the theater this year. It was Studio Six Six Six. Rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. He was the best actor out of all of them by a long shot. He was actually like kind of in it. Like I don't know if he had someone working with him for that because the other guys are just like, "What are we gonna do?" You know. But Taylor <laughs> yeah, Hawkins Schmier was like just, in it. Pat Schmier is just a man. Oh my god, he was so bad. It was so. It was perfect. It was okay. fucking funny, dude. But well, but yeah, Taylor Hawkins for some reason was like fucking. In it, dude. It was he was good. I would like to transition into something. I'm gonna talk for a little bit. Please. So uh there's a film that has shaped me since I was born. So as a musician, the first song mm. I ever learned. No, continue. I okay, so the first the like first this. song I ever learned uh, was sung to me in the dad um, in the bathtub by my dad it was help i need somebody help not just anybody uh, like whatever the riffing bad i don't know what it is but that was the first song i remember learning and it's help by the beatles correct and 
I watched Yellow Submarine, the animated movie, over and over and over as a kid. So the just the when I'm 64, when I'm 64, boom, boom, is always kind of like in my personality. Yeah. And so I wrote, I love this film so much. It's maybe my favorite film of all time. I think that's in terms a of good artistry film and that's it based. changed animation forever. People don't know this about it, but it's very, it changed animation forever. And the thing about it that's interesting is that it had almost nothing to do with the Beatles. It was the story of it is some dude was listening to the Beatles on, I think psychedelics and wrote out this fucking script littered with references to drugs and shrimps like blue meanies and all this shit right. and just threw it at kind of Warner brothers. And they said, sure. And they, they fucking made this huge animated movie and the Beatles had nearly nothing to do with it other than George Martin, the fifth Beatle, the producer wrote a ton of music for the film and the, the group would kind of just come in every now and then and be like, Oh yeah, it's looking fine. And then they do a little, tid there's a tidbit of them at the end, but that was about all they had to do with it. It was entirely this passion project, and it changed animation forever. It had nothing like that had ever been done before, and if it hadn't been for that film, we would not have what we have today. True. Pendleton Ward cites Yellow Submarine and The Simpsons as his oh, two wow. like things that he ever did. And if you watch Adventure Time and you watch Yellow Submarine, you will see scenes in Return to the Nidosphere in Adventure Time. There is a scene that is exactly like the one where they leave Pepperland and go and they I find I never the, knew that. He cited that like as, yeah, his, as his inspiration. Fucking, That's so um, fucking cool. Yeah, the Holy vacuum shit. thing, the ego feeder or whatever yeah, yeah. it is. Um, oh, Playing footsies. What a, the, <laughs> it was um, a, a, nar a narcico or a narcissist something. Narcissist vacuumer. But it's the exact mirror. I wrote a 13-page paper on this movie in high school. I did not give a shit about anything in school other than fucking music. I would leave class and be like, I'm going to go play. And, uh, you know, that was just kind of fucking it. And the teachers were kind of cool with it. I didn't really do anything in class except to sit and listen to music because I got my shit done anyways. Yeah. Like, to as much as I could. But we had to write a paper, I remember, in English about a piece of art and I chose this movie and I went balls to the wall on it. And we, we, we only had pages. to do like, it was like a five page paper, <laughs> you know, I wrote 13 pages, images, like all sorts of shit. Like I wrote an article basically on yellow submarine, but it is such one of the most formative movies of my entire personality. Well, I want to tell it, it, about it, without that movie, I wouldn't be the person I am. The lessons I learned, the music I learned, the visuals I got, the well, color do you schemes. do you remember what you said about the first real conversation we ever had? It it, it had something to do with the Yellow Submarine, didn't it? No, the not the conversation. But you said uh, we we when we and Zach first met, um, over the course of like the first couple days we were ever hanging out with each other, ever met. We had a couple conversations that were just like, you know, balls to the wall, like fantastic conversation. You know, when you meet someone and yeah. then it just clicks and then we start talking about God and the fucking life, whatever. And you told me, like, after we were done talking about some insane religious shit, you were like, have you ever seen Yellow Submarine? I was like, yeah, I have. And you're like, we are right now the two John Lennons. Do you remember saying yeah, yeah. this? Oh say my what I did you say? No, so there's a scene 
Hold on. Keep talking while I chew. You said, <laughs> oh God, I don't remember what you said exactly, but you said something along the lines of like, you know what reminds me of when we talk to each other. I got it. Like, okay, got it. There's a scene in Yellow Submarine. So there's the so there's Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, mm-hmm. and there's the Beatles. And the Beatles travel all through Pepperland and all through the fucking multiverse of madness. And they get back to Pepperland and they're freeing Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, Club band, basically. And Sergeant Clubber's Sergeant Clubber's Plonely Farts Club command <laughs> <laughs> are the the Beatles' alter egos. Right. They're their alter egos. The ego self and the higher self. And so when they meet themselves, it's this beautiful metaphor for the conjoining of the higher self and the soul and the fucking mind-body-spirit yeah. fucking right, temple. Right. And oh, it's The so unification good. of... Yeah. But it's really just Paul talking to fucking Paul with a mustache and going, oh, you know, like fucking... But I said that when we first met, because Maddie and I were finishing each other's sentences down to the smallest minute fucking references. Yeah. Everybody knows you have sick references, bro. <laughs> Everybody knows your references are out of out control. Of control. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said it was like this the scene where John Lennon meets the Sgt. Pepper's alter ego version of himself, and they're just walking along in perfect unison steps, going, oh, well, Einstein's theory of relativity dictates that you know, blah, 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 and he goes, oh, well, I concur, blah, 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 and they're just walking, and then it goes, and all you need is love, bum, bum, ba, da, 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 you know, and goes into that. That was when we first met, it was oh, two no, John, two John Lennon's talking to himself. Yeah, that that's what I said. That's simultaneously the cutest thing I've ever heard, and also we're both such fucking narcissists, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there, what did, I saw this post about autism is just subtle narcissism or something. Who like, said that? It was like no, it was it was better than that. It was like narcissism with this and this and this. It was, I don't know what it was. It had the word narcissism in it, and it was. Oh, it was a pin. Oh, it was a pin. Yeah, dude, people don't fucking... No, it was perfect. It was good? It was exactly how I... I gotta, I'll find it. I'll find it. It almost, like, traits, like... um. I don't know. I, I feel like when you're, like, artistic and you start talking about, like, fucking shit that you're obsessed with and you know everything about, it's really hard to explain how much you fucking love something mm-hmm. without it sounding like you're talking about it to impress somebody. Yeah. It's oh really hard. Well, this is a great fucking example of it. We're doing a whole hour talking about films that we love. And it's like, it, it's very difficult you're to very, find. You're hyper aware of how what you're saying is being interpreted. Yeah. 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 Because it's like, you, and it's like, how you do, perceive your thoughts to be interpreted anyway. Exactly. And so it's like, no, genuinely, I just like talking about all these little things I know about it because it makes me happy to talk about it because I like them. And I want to hear yours as well. But I know that I talk in a way that it's probably coming out as, look at all the things I know. You know, but it's like, it's not. It's I promise it's not. I just like the movie Drive. I just really I, like Drive. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. It's so bad. It's, ugh. Oh, well. Okay. okay. I, I had a top five. I, I sat down for a while and um, thought about my favorite, my top five favorite movies of all time. And I came up to a concrete list. And as I looked at it on paper, I realized my top five favorite movies are so like anomalous to what I typically enjoy in general about film. Okay. You know, like like I'll say this: my favorite genre of film 
by a large margin is horror. I love horror movies. Okay. But there isn't a single horror movie in my top five. So it, it's weird. Like, I, I just looked at my... artistic... Yeah. Art, the separation of recognizing art and guilty pleasure. And, like, well, no, none of them things, I would... Maybe? None of them I would consider guilty pleasures in my top five, except for one. But, um... Which I'll get in. I'll tell it's you what they are. Between, in a like enjoying things, and then your list is well, it's respective just, pieces of work. It's just interesting that I the five that have bubbled up to the top of okay. my favorite. Well, what, what are the five? Okay, so number five is James Gunn's Super. I've never. Okay. Oh, the Super with Rain Wilson. Super, just Super. Yeah, it's just called Super. Rain Wilson, Elliot Page. Oh, 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 Elliot Page. I, I do. Remember Movies that one. fucking bananas this is a movie that could not exist right now it could not be made ever again something like it there are elements to it that are like pretty dated and problematic you know that's not why i say it can't exist right now it can't exist right now because it is such a fucking passion project the pacing is very strange and the movie is all about it it's a character study about a character that isn't really interesting you oh. know and it's like it's so fascinating it's just basically like super cute super indie movie mixed with grindhouse action like like literally like juno meets fucking um i don't know the punisher like it's so weird but but this movie um is just a a, a super like um what is the word oh my god what's the fucking word a very uh that white extreme like just um shameless like fucking watch this crazy shit happen hilarious blah blah, blah bloody gory <laughs> but then there's a couple of scenes in the movie that just like set it apart from anything like anything else there's a beautiful like screamed monologue from Rain Wilson who like he just talks about like this these are his values in the world he becomes a, a superhero becomes a vigilante but he just is a dude in a latex red suit beating the shit out of people with a wrench that he deems worthy of being beat is with that a wrench is one or five that's five okay what's four okay great film Elliot Page is fucking electric in this movie he cannot it's perfect um, it, you know but that's five four is Darren Aronofsky's mother Oh my fucking god! That oh yeah, that is a horror movie. So yeah, that is a horror movie. Yeah, that is Jesus one. Jesus Christ! That movie fucks. That one's, that one's really intense. That's a rough watch, dude. Like that is a rough watch. That's almost on Requiem for a Dream, like you know, of his. But I love that movie because it is simultaneous. It's so fucking critical of Abrahamic religion. It's so obviously like, what the fuck, and like. But it comes from a perspective of a frustrated believer, almost. It does. It's not so like Reddit r slash atheism, like you know. It, it's 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 so genuine and it's so honest and it's brutal. Like this movie's fucking brutal. Also, pacing is amazing. Visuals are amazing. It's just an impressive film. Like with its acting, what they were able to do, and the amount of terror, like genuine terror. Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem, perfect in this movie jennifer lawrence perfect you know but the fact that they were able to conjure that much terror in such a quaint like 
scope for the most part at the end of the movie goes fucking ballistic like there's insanity but like no and it's just it's a beautiful like human condition movie a a beautiful the human condition metaphor movie but not in a way that's too preachy it's it's and not in a way that's too in your face. Yeah, no, it, it takes I mean, a while to think about. It's pretty in your face, but it doesn't feel like it's being thrown at you out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and also like it's it's a story about the human condition that places more emphasis on the earth itself, the physical earth than I've ever seen really? a, a thinking movie I, like that do. I felt like it, it put more emphasis on the literal interpretations of religious texts in some ways. Oh, no, yeah, no, that's the main point. I feel like it it took away and went into the spirituality in the other realms more than it stayed on Earth. No, what I mean is that more so than other movies like it, it it covers that. It covers that aspect about the environment, Earth, you know, because I think about, like, Jennifer Lawrence's character represents Earth. This whole movie is like an avant-garde allegory story. There's not, like, a clear plot with characters. Essentially, it's like... Um, you watch this married couple that one interpretation of the film is that the the wife is Mother Earth and the husband is God. And you watch them deal with ensuing chaos in their home. And that's all I'll say. Four was Mother, Darren Aronofsky's mother. Three is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Okay, we we covered that. I can't believe... A movie like that broke into my top five that came out in 2022. Two, <laughs> this is the guilty pleasure. Kind of. I'm not ashamed of it, but it is bizarre. It's Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Specifically the director's Watchmen. cut. Specifically the director's cut. Holy fuck. And I'm a giant fan of the book. Like, I'm a fan of the novel. I, I think there were some creative choices that I prefer to the, the novel in that movie. Like, this movie gives me such a fucking vibe dude i mean it's it's hard to fuck up watchmen when you're just doing i mean obviously in the extended universe watchmen is shit but like it's hard to fuck up the know. story of watchmen it's great there's a lot of philosophical context to it it's it's a giant sprawling political drama i gotta you know? find the photo and post it of us at halloween yeah, yeah, I was I dressed as Silk Spectre for Halloween once, and you were the day man from I, It's Always Sunny. I was, the, I was the night. No, I was the day man. I was the day so man. Uh, ah. Fighter of the night man. Ah. Champion of the sun. So good. But, um, yeah, I think the director's cut nailed it. There were beautiful scenes. Uh, I think his slow-mo worked for the almost, like, t- it was almost like adding a tongue-in-cheek element to Watchmen that is in the book, but it's a little bit more extreme in the movie because Zack Snyder is a fucking cheese lord. So it's like, but it added sh- this, I don't know, it was beautiful. I love that movie. I think the acting is really fucking good, too. It's a little on the nose, but I think that works for it. I love the music in it. Tyler Bates. One of the greatest composers. Fucking love the song "I Love You" by Tyler Bates off of the Watchmen soundtrack. I listen to that song on a weekly basis. That song is fucking great. It's like a shoegaze, post rock anthem. So goddamn good. Watchmen's number two. My number one favorite movie of all time. Drive. Drive, Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn. Nicholas Winding Refn's my favorite director of all time. I think Drive is a perfect movie. I think Drive is everything I love about movies. It is. The ultimate aesthetic, the ultimate vibe, the lights hypnotize me. The music is perfect. It introduced me to a new genre of music that I now love very dearly. It 
the acting is so good. It's a very Shakespearean type of movie. It's like it's it's very like tragic, you know, in in aesthetic. It's it's super tragic and and it's all about wanting to be a hero and being mesmerized by the things you can't have, the life you want to live, the type of person you want to be and being held back by the grime of the life you are currently in. And you get so desperate wanting to escape that that you are you become capable of horrible violence. You know? Some of it is justified. Some of it is questionable. And the whole movie is that beautiful, violent character study, but under just saturated, self-indulgent synth and fucking neon lights for no reason. And it's so beautiful. And the L.A. River has never looked more appetizing than in this film mm-hmm. i went to la for the first time when, the first time i went to la i went to the la river with the picture of it from drive in my head and i was like that's <laughs> nasty yeah that's gross but Nick yeah Reffin there's the fucking fish from like futurama are in there fucking three-eyed mutant fish nick reffin has not made anything i dislike i love his art very dearly mm-hmm. and i think he has uh such an interesting view of humanity and he portrays it in such a colorful and like fetishized way. Like he's just like obsessed with, with certain aspects. It's like, it's like watching a metaphorical stripper. It's like watching a strip club. It's like being inside a strip club filled with the most beautiful paintings you've ever seen. Yes. That's what I was trying. I was, I was, I was circling around some because yeah, there's there. dense. That's where it, like that's it. There's there's philo- philosophically dense shit in all of his work, but it's painted in this like very self indulgent, just super aesthetic way. It's like if the Mona Lisa instead of its frame had those fucking RGB neon lights <laughs> exactly. in every fucking yeah, freshman yeah, at agree. ASU's room. I agree. I agree. And but and he's been, you know, like I also think there's a bit of a sub commentary about to- toxic masculinity and drive, and I absolutely. think absolutely, which is phenomenal. Speaking of, after my top three, we have to talk about American Psycho. Oh my god! And I have a special guest to call. Okay, okay, right, cool, Psycho. cool, cool, cool. I have a special guest to call, but is it? Are you still talking about drive? No, I'm yeah. I'm just. I'm not really gonna get into my top. Reffin's gonna come up over and over again in the series of this podcast because that's another person I'm obsessed with. Yeah. So that's all about drive. My top three in like no real particular order. That's a revolving door. I've already mentioned Yellow Submarine, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Fuck you. That movie's so good. I've seen it three or four times. It has destroyed me every time more than the last. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman is a genius director. Uh, Genius. I'm thinking of anything's is also. Beautiful. Yeah, being John Malkovich's mm-hmm. scary. And then movies. The Big Lebowski. Yes, oh I my God. love The Big Lebowski to death. So I love it to death. Walter, put the fucking piece away, man. Dude, I cannot like that. That's a movie that like is yeah. so wildly fucking entertaining. Like, there's not a everyone who gives a shit about the rules. Like, ah, uh, dude. Every, even though I've seen it a million goddamn times. There's not a second, like, I can walk up and get anything during that movie. You know what I mean? Like, even though I've seen it a hundred times, I'm not going to step away from that film once. Like, I got to pee before it starts. I got to get all my snacks in a row because it's so entertaining. If if I'm not there, 
when he's like, Donnie, you're out of your element. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. This is not a guy who built the railroads, Walter. This is a guy who peed on my fucking rug. <laughs> Coen Brothers are. G- I, I don't. I think there's only one Coen Brothers movie I haven't seen yet. And then, what was it? What was it? Um, I can't remember the name of it. I showed you Big Lebowski. Yeah, you showed me Big Lebowski for the first time. Yeah. And then the other one that's up there, it's not like that's up there with us is A Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, flawless film. Flawless film. It's incredible. Okay, so, so are we American Psycho? Yeah, we have a guest to call. We have a guest to call. I, I want to preface this by saying it's likely not going to... We're probably not going to talk about American Psycho at all. The, <laughs> this podcast is about to go off the fucking wall. We'll introduce the guest. This is my my brother. This is my brother, uh, Odin. Odin. I, I grew up with the motherfucker. I love him. All the love of my heart. We're going to call him. And I, I'm so excited. He, he requested to be on the podcast, correct? I also wanted him on. Well, yeah. Really bad. I yeah. wanted him on really bad. But this is... I told him I'd be calling. If he doesn't answer, this is going to be so anticlimactic. Okay, we'll figure something out. I think... Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to FaceTime him. I'm going to FaceTime him. I told I told them they were ready they were ready but we'll see I'm sure, no, I'm sure they'll call back in like a minute or two Odie stinky brother he didn't answer the FaceTime I'm gonna call him on a speakerphone American Psycho is one of those films one of the few films I think is far better than the book um, I think the book, uh, everything about the book you, is more... You have the the uh, a mic that picks up more. Oh, okay. That was anticlimactic. That was anticlimactic, the bastard. Oh, well. The bastard. Odie. Oh, well. I just I just texted him. Answer. Okay. Well, well, while we're waiting on that. I'll put my ring around. Nice. Um, American Psycho, there is a musical of that I fucking adore. There's a musical of American Psycho. Mm. It was made by uh, Duncan Sheik, the man who made Spring Awakening, or contributed to making Spring Awakening. I think he did just the music. I the can't remember. The thing that I wanted to talk about, Aaron's American Psycho, is the absolute gorilla grip that it has on men right now. Yeah, it's bizarre. Because even... The, the movie... Patrick Bateman is a loser in the book. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's all satirical. And, like... Chad culture, Chad culture has taken it so far. Well, the thing is, the movie it's like pretty fucking crystal clear, as well. It's similar to Fight Club, you know, like Fight Club's better. Yeah, on on the commentary aspect of it, like Fight Club is better. It's just a better film. Yeah, I I agree, but not. It's close for me. I really do love American Psycho. I think American Psycho is more about. 
American Psycho comes from a place of less care about the issues that it's commentating on, I feel like, than Fight Club. Because Fight Club seems like a genuine, like, especially the books, like talking about the books, is like, Fight Club seems like a, a, a genuine thing of like, this is what happens to displaced men who fucking, you know, just while searching for meaning, grab their masculinity as their identity and then become radicalized, you know? Like it's it's almost like it's almost like the exact opposite interpretation of Jordan Peterson's view of what men should be like. I feel like if everyone listened to Jordan Peterson, we'd have Fight Club in real funny, life. But what's you know funny what I mean? is the person that I can think of the most who is like Patrick Bateman, the whole fucking incel Patrick Bateman. Blah, 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 blah. Like what eggshell white with the offside coloring? Yeah, you stupid bastard! You yeah. stupid bastard! That is Andrew from the Jesus Ali story. And Andrew is so into Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson fucking ruined everything. Stupid bitch. Like, dude, oh my god. Like, fucking... No, literally, it, it, there is a weird subculture of the Venn diagrams meet in this fucking absolute hellscape of when they intersect film bros... Jordan Peterson lovers and fucking like like uh you know gym dudes. There's feel, a little like thing in throw, there. I feel like you gotta throw an album in there just to make it weird, like beer bongs and Bentleys. Throw it in and just see what happens. What? <laughs> like give a guy like that. I don't. I'm not. I I ain't explaining. Yeah, no. I know what it is in my head. Why you could say so? No, I think like the thing is. Um, Jordan Peterson, I feel like his philosophy assesses the same uh, issues that Fight Club does have been like, okay, displaced men, men that search for meaning, men that search for, you know, in the absence of traditional Western religious values, what are they going to cling to now? Like, that's the question that's posed by both Fight Club and Jordan Peterson, but Jordan Peterson's prescription of it is basically like, well, it's... Your fault. It's everyone else's fault that we got to this point, you know. And Fight Club's thing is like, men should fucking. It's a satirical. Men should grow satir- the fuck up. It's a satirical gay rom com. Yeah, it's a satirical gay rom com. I feel like the message of Fight Club. That's a little. I do genuinely love that movie, but it's much clearer in the book that the message is like, if you're a man that disenchanted and displaced by your state in the world. It's you need to fucking grow up and adapt, you know, instead of pointing at like fucking Tyler Durden's line of like, you know, we're a generation of men raised by women. I'm thinking a woman, another woman's not what we need right now. You know, like that's the line of like, you know, they did this to us. You create a of, of like a, this. It's, it's pointing fingers. Yeah, it's pointing fingers. And it's saying, you know, like, I'm not allowed to be a man now. It's like, who said that? You're the one equating all these fucking toxic traits to men if you think that now that we say you can't do that, you're, we're saying you can't be a man, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, that's Jordan Peterson, that's too. That's Jordan Peterson. And it's like, and it's so fucking funny to me that a lot of people that fetishize that film, um, there's a there's a decent chunk of them who also listen to Jordan Peterson. And it's just like, whoop, like the message just right over yeah, the that head. That seems to be the case with all of them. 
the message just goes right over the fucking heads of anybody who's looking to see what they want to see. Yeah, exactly. And it's also to still interpret the universe in such a general, big picture, ontological way in a gender binary. It's like you're missing the entire point of existing. You know? Like, what is the purpose of life for men? It's like, purpose is not gender specific, you know? And if you're approaching reality like, well, I'm a man. What does that mean? What, how should I live my life? It's like, you're a human, you know? Gender is a real thing in a, in a social and, you know, metaphysical sense of how we embody in the world. But it's not, that shouldn't be a factor in deciding your place in the universe like you know what i mean and i feel like when you place your identity that far in your gender especially if you are cis like gendered people you know that that grasp onto their masculinity it's like what does that even mean you know like it doesn't mean as much as you think it means it's like everything is more fluid than it appears and i think that's extremely frightening and that's why you know we we need to create boxes and boundaries so everything's easier to navigate but it's like it's not gonna make it easier well i feel like this might be biased but the the batman the new robert pattinson batman also had a similar subculture but it wasn't as toxic no it was not nearly as like the opposite it was funnier it was like it was like the men it was like the men who are chads but like because they're on their own shit Cause they're on their own fucking grind and like they're, they're a little fucking depressed. They listen to radio and deftones and shit, but like they're not out and like manipulating women and like, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's less it's of like a, the loner kind of version of it, but the it, glorified, the glorified stoner. Yeah. It's the glorified, like lo- it's loner. the cool guy. It's, it's the cool guy. It, yeah. it, it genuinely is. I feel like the Batman's incel culture wasn't bad. It wasn't not I nearly liked it. as bad. I related to it. It's hilarious. And it's it was also much funny. more playful. Like, yeah, no, I feel like people that identify with the Batman. This <laughs> is such a stupid fucking conversation, but I love it. Like, no, the, I don't know. People really. that identify with the Batman, the new Batman, it's more like pain. You know, it's pain mm-hmm. in a sense of like my pain, you know? But people who identify with Tyler Durden are more of like the pain that's been inflicted on them by the world. And the, you know, and and when you get when you get that mentality, when you start to think that it's been inflicted upon you, you will never change. No, never. And that's why it's so fucking rich when the Jordan Peterson heads and conservatives talk about oh victim culture and everybody wants to be a victim now. It's like, bro, that's you. Like that is you doing that actually. This what like white replacement theory yeah, and like I can't be a man anymore. Fucking, you got hospitalized for eating some fucking bread. Like yeah, <laughs> the weight of the world. Just oh, like yeah, the you know. Victim here is fucking Jordan. Victim of yeast. Yeah, victim of fucking drinking apple cider and going into a fucking coma. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean though. It's like it's 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 sheer projecting. Like they look at they look at what they call SJWs and like liberal culture and like oh it's all victim everybody wants to be a victim and it's like, but but you're the ones that go on and on about how you can't say the things you want to say anymore and you can't do the things and they're replacing men and they're they're you know the erasure of men and no it's one's like, re- no one no one's trying to replace you yeah no one's trying to replace you 
just shut the fuck up. It isn't about you. Yeah, no, literally. Bo Burnham, either get with it or get out of the fucking way. And it's like, at the way it's being done is is so low-level noise floor. It's a yeah. noise floor. Mm-hmm. It's like a 20-hertz rumble mm-hmm. that just won't go away. You know? It's just muddying up the song. But... Yeah. No, I feel like... um yeah, that's just that's just so rich that they're the ones that 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 have that talking point. It's so fucking funny to me. But regardless, um, I think uh, film. We were talking about movies. <laughs> well, we got no. We, this is how movies influence the culture. No, it's yeah, it's certainly true. People that attach certain meaning to things. You know, I think um, one thing that it has been a little bit. Um, oh, you want to talk about a movie that says things about culture? In, in a radically profound way, Jordan Peele's Nope that I came out this year. I didn't get to see that yet. That's uh, on my fucking list. I won't get into it then. I, I, you need mm. to see that raw. But Jordan Peele in general, like... You watched that last night? Fucking genius. Right. What? Did you go to the, the movie? Oh, yeah, I did. I had a Jordan Peele marathon last night. Yeah. It was very very sweet, very nice. Yeah, he's a he's a... I am so goddamn... We're so fucking privileged to be alive in a time where... There's so many auteur directors like working right now with major budgets and like a, a mainstream spotlight on them. Like we are, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, like the fact that we are alive in a time where Nicholas Winding Refn, Tarantino, Jordan fucking Peele, Denis Villeneuve, all of them are actively working at the same time. Fuck, that's cool. Like I and, and anyone who talks about golden age like Hollywood and like born in the wrong generation of movies is a fucking moron not paying attention. Absolutely. Like holy shit, we're living in a you know, and say what you will about Tarantino, like uh, you know, he's obviously got serious oh, flaws. He's but fucking like, brilliant. Yeah, as a creator, oh like my yeah. God. He's, I love he's, fucking Tarantino. Yeah, no. Art. He's fucking something else, dude. Once upon a time in Hollywood, I think about that movie on a regular basis. So fucking fun. But yeah. Have you seen the original like cast list for Pulp Fiction? It's so interesting. Um, I, like, I he had in mind for each role. Yeah, I I have, but I don't I remember. Forget his, I forget his name, but um, the part of Vincent was written for the guy who played Buck in Kill Bill. Whoa, that's weird. That's interesting. There was a a YouTuber who did um like casting Pulp Fiction today if they were to make a remake and who he would decide to put Timothy Chalamet as Vince <laughs> no as, as Marcellus Wallace no god Timothy Chalamet as Marcellus Wallace who else what do we got fucking um Mark Wahlberg as Bruce Willis's part <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jared Leto is the fucking blueberry pancakes. No, the blueberry pancakes girl. The fucking French. Yeah, yeah, Jared Leto is her. (laughs) Like full Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, God. Don't get me started on that. Opinions about that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, directors. My favorite director is Kubrick, as I've mentioned. Right, right. And I would like to talk about Kubrick. Mm -hmm. Kubrick had an IQ of, like, 200. He was one of the most brilliant people of all time. And if you talk about working, like, talk to an actor who's worked with Kubrick, they will do the same thing 40 times. Mm -hmm. And to the naked eye, 
it's like to them, it's like the same thing, but it, to him, it's like the symmetry and the, he was so fucking meticulous and genius. Everything meant fucking something. And there's this thread through every single Kubrick movie that I've, I've kind of noticed. And it's pretty obvious. I'm like, I'm definitely, I'm positive. There's people who know like, and think this way, Yeah. but it's the fucking waiters. It's the waiters and the fucking bartenders, the people who mm. serve the protagonists and antagonists in the fucking movies, every Kubrick, fr- Kubrick film. There is this ethereal quality to all of them. That's fascinating. And what's funny is that they, if you think about it, they don't do anything. They, j- they literally walk up and they just like, can I take your drink, sir? And they go, absolutely. And they hand you the drink and they walk away. Kubrick will shoot that like 40 times just to get the way that they walk differently, like to the centimeter. Yeah. And the re and that meticulousness is what creates this feeling. And it is this ethereal feeling that the, the waiters and the bartenders are omnipresent of the story and the characters. It's this feeling that they know something that not only the main characters don't know yet, that we, the audience, don't yeah, know yet. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think of all the Kubrick films because I, I have not think seen... Think of the bartender, like, in The Bartender in The Shining. Right, obviously. Right, that, that one's obvious. One I thought. But there's the scene in Eyes Wide Shut where um, Tom Cruise goes oh up to get the fucking password from the jazz pianist and he's like, oh, Fidelity and all that. And the waiter is... It's like he knows everything that's going to happen. His, his manner just feels that way. We just get this ethereal feeling from him. But we, I can't pinpoint exactly why. It's just a combination of elements in the frame or whatever. Energy well, you know what I noticed. Kubrick is sensing. Oh, yeah, I know. When you said as soon as you said Eyes Wide Shut, I was like, oh, I can see it in that one too. Like, because when you said it initially, I first thought of Shining, obviously, but then like Eyes Wide Shut, like yeah, that that is so weird, isn't it? There was um when it's I was like, watching. It's I, it's so. Difficult they do those to out why. classic movie nights at Harkins on Tuesdays, um, where they'll show an old ass movie. Um, the last one I was able to catch was The Shining. And so I went and saw The Shining in theaters, you know, for the first time. And one thing I noticed was, like, even in the most mundane, exposition-heavy shots of just two characters speaking, you could take any moment of the film. If you had a camera set up filming the the screen in a movie theater and just had it go off and take a picture at any random point in the film, it whatever it lands on, that would be a perfect album cover. It's, you know, like it's, every fucking frame, even the boring frames of people just talking, getting from A to point B in the next part of the story, even every fucking frame of a Kubrick movie is is pretty. It creates this surrealist energy that we as an it's audience, hyper reality. It makes like, us as an audience just feel immensely on edge. Yeah. Good or bad. We don't know what the fuck is going on. And it's a little concerning. Yeah, but it's like our curiosity. It's so genius. In two thousand one, a lot of people say his his magnum opus is Eyes Wide Shut. Not nearly my favorite Kubrick movie. What is? I think it's A Clockwork Orange. But his best movie, his most meaningful movie, is two thousand one. That movie is it. It's like it holds the secret of the fucking universe in it. Yeah, the way it goes through, it talks about shit that I believe in about time not being linear in the seventies. Take Interstellar without two thousand one, we don't have it. Yeah, it's like everything about Interstellar is in two thousand one subliminally. It's genius. That fucking ten minute scene of them warping through time. It's like 
it's it's I think it's Kubrick's masterpiece. I really do, and I think we haven't even begun to find out what's written and hidden into that movie. Yeah, Generally. that's I mean that's a pretty reasonable take. Like that movie is fucking legend. Like, have you seen Doctor Strange Love? Mm-mm. That's a Kubrick film. That that's the one. I, that's the one I haven't seen. Okay, yeah, I haven't. That's um, the one I haven't seen. The uh, Doctor Strange Love is hilarious and like weirdly terrifying. It's a comedy, really. It's a war comedy, and like I've metal jacket too, by the way. Oh yeah, full metal is fucking great. It's just. That's another very scary film. That like, one is, yeah, that one's difficult to watch in weird ways. If I remember correctly, the only, like, advertised as a horror, like, this is a, obviously a horror film that Kubrick has made it's is the Shining. the Shining. But every one of his movies is fucking frightening. Yeah. Like, they're all scary films. But, and, and, but if you dissect the dialogue and the plot... It's not, it's not, it's just the way he puts it together. Right. It's this feeling of something's going on that we don't know. And it's, and it's putting me on edge. It's unsettling me. Yeah. Cause something's not right. And the thing about eyes wide shut is the controversy about it. That is absolutely. So the controversy around eyes wide shut, which was the last Kubrick film ever made. It stars Tom Cruise and his then wife. Uh, what was her fucking Katie name? Holmes. No, 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 no. Like her, he, old Tom, Swift, pre Scientology cruise. Yeah, or post Holmes cruise. <laughs> pre Holmes cruise. <laughs> post LRH cruise. <laughs> oh my god! In a minute, I gotta talk about that fucking. Th- <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Fuck Scientology, dude! So, Holy shit! There's this. So it was released pin, in. The, put a pin. It was released in the '90s. Eyes wide shut, and this movie is. Even for now, it's like a lot, but for the night, like this movie is, they wanted to give it like a X, like it, yeah. so like there's so many, there's so much nudity, and that he even dialed it back, like he put underwear g strings on all the women models, which there are hundreds of naked women in this movie because they go to a party where masked people are, are having grotesque sex with each other, and it's it's very metaphorical and symbolic, right, but. Sounds like a the thing about it is that Tuesday. obviously this is not a movie that Warner Brothers is gonna fucking like, right? And it's and it's all about like a little bit. There's these underlying tones of elite people like doing this sick shit, right? Right? And it's not really sick, but it is. But it is like it's it's kind of it's it's in a way treating it is treating women like slaves. I would say to go as far as to say that in this context, old white men doing whatever they want with yeah. women. And there were 28 minutes, I think, 23, 25, 28, one of those numbers of footage that was cut out of the film. Kub- they, they said when they first watched it, Kubrick sat down in the room and they, he showed it to Warner Brothers and they walked out in silence. No one said a word to Stanley. <laughs> it was a Stanley parable. And <laughs> they... <laughs> They they said you need to take these twenty eight minutes out of this film. Oh, it was one continuous section of twenty eight minutes. Wow. Okay. They said you need to take this twenty eight minutes out of this film. Kubrick said no. Kubrick said no. The film was going to be released with the twenty eight minutes in it. Two weeks from release date, it was Stanley Kubrick. He was getting what he wanted. Warner Brothers was furious about it. This movie was going to be so controversial. Two weeks before it releases, with the intended 28 minutes, Stanley Kubrick dies. 
and after his death, they cut the 28 minutes. I did not. That's fucking nuts. I never knew that. Immediately shit. after his death, cut the 28 minutes. Holy fuck. So dude. there's a lot of conspiracy as a movie about elitist people, elitist hierarchical Illuminati type figures having control or power over this world and power over women and using them and as slaves and having this fucking insane society. Yeah, Epstein shit. Epstein shit is just the umbrella of Epstein shit. A movie with 28 minutes that Warner Brothers wanted gone in a movie about Epstein shit. Kubrick says no, he dies and it's gone. So there's yeah. a lot of controversy Dude, that Brothers that doesn't give a fuck. That bro, those 28 like... minutes were gonna expose a lot of people, but the thing about it is is the movie is already fucking like without the 28 minutes insanely jarring and fucking x-rated oh. so if they were pissed about those 28 minutes what was so bad that was right in right 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 and Dude, and, it, and after the movie was done filming tom cruise and his wife got divorced because they played a married couple in the movie and it was so intimate between them it showed like her going to the bathroom on the toilet which had never been done in the 90s like it was so intimate on a married couple they couldn't take it they got fucking divorced that plus the scientology it right. destroyed their marriage, and Kubrick destroyed them mentally. Damn. But that was those 28 minutes of film. Gone. Who fucking knows? Probably in a fucking box somewhere. If they let. Dude, Warner Brothers is such a shameless fucking... Oh, God. I, I love so many Warner Brothers IPs, but it, it sucks because, like... That, hearing that of like the no shame of like this man's you know masterpiece they're gonna chop up his masterpiece after he's dead and he N- can't defend Nicole himself Kidman. Nicole Kidman but then also what they did to Zack Snyder it, I, I, I hope I'm not being disparaging I'm pretty Batman sure it is Warner Brothers Superman was my least favorite movie oh yeah of Zack all Snyder time is not, yeah. until I watched the director's cut and it was it's all it, it fixed yeah, it's everything good. that I had it's a problem good. with no Zack Snyder what they did to him with the Justice League is like I don't know why don't no one talks about how fucking cold and heartless that was like honestly that's worthy of like shit like his daughter died and they were like okay um let's uh give your passion project to joss whedon while you're grieving sorry no vacations for you we need to get this movie made and then joss whedon shits all over it makes one of the worst superhero movies ever made and just has to watch Zack snyder grieving has to fucking watch his masterpiece you know Get fucking annihilated in front of him, and then obviously you know his redemption arc with the, with the director's cut of that was was epic to watch. I was very brilliant. Like you know, I'm glad he got that. But like Jesus Christ, Warner Brothers doesn't give a shit. Also, Zack Snyder is not a very, I'm not a huge fan of Zack Snyder. I know his. I know I said Watchmen is Zach's my second fucking favorite movie of all time, but, but it, I think he did an amazing job with the Snyder cut. A great movie, and I'm not a DC fan either. But sorry to derail that. Yeah. Talk about that Scientology thing. <laughs> so the the Church of Scientology has their own award ceremony, like the Grammys or the Oscars, and it's this glorified, like almost JW style, like weirdly called. It's it's called it's science. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's, but you know, and Tom Cruise wins like best guy every year. Yeah, you know, he man wins. of the year. <laughs> He wins Scientology's Man of like of Xenu every year or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which I this is real if you haven't like in the texts. Oh, I have so much. Now I'm gonna talk about Scientology. I'm yeah, just gonna please, talk I don't about care. it. I, after this, 
that's can I, the Tom Cruise I, thing I got to talk about. I'm going to have the bet. The fucking bar bet with LRH. That's oh on record. Oh, my God. Yes. So, Tom Cruise. I'm going I'm to leave you alone in the room for a moment. I have to pee. Very bad. I'm so terrified. I know, should I know, should I know. we just make a cut? We're just no, going to no, make no, a no, cut. No, 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 no. Don't cut. Maddie, Maddie, we're Don't almost cut. at time. Okay, hurry. Okay, go, right go, back. go. Go, continue. It's your Oh, my God. Okay. So, hello. This is the room that we're creating. This is the room that we're creating now. So, there's this video of Tom Cruise accepting this award. He gets up on stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he starts immediately... Not, like, thanking anybody, like, really in his life or even saying, like, I, I'm, like, that I could do this thing. Thanking people to where he could get to where he is. He gives all the credit to the man who just handed him an award, which is immediately culty. Immediately. And he starts talking about L. Ron Hubbard, the guy who wrote the Book of Scientology. And he just starts, like, referring to him. He's like, LRH, the big guy, you know? And he's, and he keeps pointing. He keeps pointing, like, up and to the left as if it's... You know, like, as if you say, oh, like, I, I want to thank, you know, I want to thank God. It's like you point up to heaven. And so I'm interpreting him on this just absolute LRH dick-sucking fest of he's just like, he's just, I say like a lot. He keeps saying, oh, you know, LRH, I, all the credits, LRH, our guy, our big guy. And he's pointing up to, to the heavens. And I'm just thinking, oh, that, you know, he keeps pointing. And then the camera pans away, and I realized that he was not pointing up metaphorically. There is, in fact, a 200-foot-tall <laughs> painting monolith of L. Ron Hubbard directly to the left of them. The camera pans out, a, a mob of people. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah, yeah. And it was like, it's like watching the Third Reich fucking praise a photo of Hitler. Dude, it like was Like a giant so bad. Hitler painting. It was, I just remember the look on my face. Because the whole time he's just going, oh yeah, LRH, the big guy, <coughs> the big guy. And I'm thinking, you know, like, like God, like, oh, I want to thank God, you know, I want to thank God in heaven. And he's pointing up. No, there was a fucking 200 foot tall fucking painting and you could look this and he, up. And if I remember correctly, he addressed it, the painting. Uh-huh. At a certain point, he would go like, "Oh, you, you like it was." Yeah, and, yeah, that's what it was too. He and it was so kept, hard to tell if he was metaphorically talking about like, "Hey, Elrond Hubbard." Yeah, Robert, it wasn't. Right? It wasn't it, just it felt really like he was talking to the, like. It to, wasn't just. I want to thank Elrond Hubbard. I want to thank LRH. You know, up there, I want to thank LRH. At certain points during it, he would refer to it in third person, like LRH, looking at it our in the guy, eyes. Uh, LRH, that's our guy. I want to, I want to thank him, and he keeps looking at it, and then occasionally he would, yeah, he would refer to it and go, "You." Him right there, kind of thing. And it then they really can. felt like they believed that that thing was was his him. It was him. But watching it as an omnipresent, it like I would have never. I thought he was just referring to metaphorically, and they pan out, and there's. I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's so fucking amazing. Anyways, the thing with Scientology is there was this bar bet that L. Ron Hubbard, you know, had, and he was a science fiction writer. Right. L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer, like H.P. Lovecraft kind of person. And somebody... That was weird. Somebody in his... In a bar he was in, I believe it was, a random or a friend or something, said that his books were shit, you know, insulted him. And L. Ron Hubbard said, and I believe this is on record, I heard this somewhere, but the story goes that L. Ron Hubbard said, I'm such a good writer, I could write a fucking book about whatever I wanted and I, people would believe me and it would be a fucking new religion. If I wrote a book, a science fiction novel about a religion, I'm such a good writer, people would fucking believe me. 
you know, and they would pray. And he said in this story, the story goes that he said, quote, and they would see me as a god. Yep. And the dude said, no, cap. <laughs> and now we have that clip of Tom Cruise praising LRH. Yeah, Scientology is a goddamn monster. A, a genuine, just like pure. Is your LaCroix done? Pay to win. Almost. Boobly. My boobly. Boobly. <laughs> 